We are about to embark on what we consider the greatest adventure of our lives. Alicia's actually pregnant. We're expecting our second baby in August. So she's cooking a baby and still not looking like it. So, so there's that. Uh, we are about to sell or give away everything that we own and take our little family of four and get on a plane and fly across the ocean and relocate our lives in Madrid, Spain with one simple goal. And that goal is to accelerate the gospel using the power of media. I don't need to tell you that media is powerful. We're surrounded by it each and every day. You might be Googling me right now. Do not believe everything that you read. Uh, but uh, but if, you, if you do Google me, you'll see a fun fact um, that seven... Seven years ago, yesterday, Alicia and I and a friend flew out to Culver City, California, and I was on Wheel of Fortune. Yeah. So you're t- I'm a celebrity. No, very, very like M-list celebrity. Not at all. Uh, but that, yeah, that was seven years ago uh, that we got to do that. And you can actually, if you can watch a clip of it online. If you, you don't Google me now, but save it for when you're just at your house thinking about us later. You can, <laughs> you can Google that. But media is around us. All The very fact that you can uh, Google somebody or uh, you, know, you watch TV or listen to the radio and you, you hear all these ads, everyone wants a piece of your attention with some message. And uh, these first couple of months of the year, this is the time of the year where 90% of the year's cruises are booked. Right, you're in the middle of the winter doldrums. We're like shoveling snow in late March. What's the deal with that? Yesterday, hello. I mean, what was that about? And you know, you see, you see these commercials on TV for like Norwegian or Royal Caribbean, and and you see these people, and okay, they're ziplining on a boat, right? And everyone's so happy, and they're eating all kinds of great food, and then uh, they're four wheeling on tropical islands, and you think, I need that in my life right now. I have earned this. I deserve this. I've shoveled so much. My parents live in Massachusetts. They got like 80 inches of snow this year. Not quite as bad as it was in Boston, but uh, you know, you're like, I, oh, give me some of that prime rib. I need to be on that boat right now. And you know, what if we could take those same techniques that when you see that cruise commercial make you want to be on that boat, what if we could use those same techniques and make people want the gospel of Jesus Christ? And that's our goal. We're going to go to international media ministries where we'll use the power of film and television and internet-based video to bring people into the conversation of Jesus. And we'll be based in the continent of Europe. And they're calling Europe the new dark continent. Right, That used to be what Africa was called. But now, currently, the Assemblies of God has more churches in Africa than McDonald's has worldwide. Yet Europe has only 3% of people in Europe are evangelical Christians. There are people that live in Europe that have never met another Christian. Do you want to know how many Assemblies of God missionaries we have in the country of Norway, for example? Zero. Zero. How many in Sweden? Goose egg. Zero. These are people who are in despair and in need of the hope of Jesus Christ. We can't reach them all. 
You know, you think about what effect could one missionary have, right? Just one person trying to meet people and, and make conversation and have a relationship. The work of international media ministries can get to places where missionaries are not or can't go. I think about a, a video that IMM created last year. It was specifically uh, for Facebook, and it was put online, targeted to people in the Middle East. And this video caught fire and went viral, and in just a couple weeks reached more than 2.5 million people with tens of thousands of comments, not all of them positive, but starting a conversation. And I think about the story of Ruth, this incredible story from the Old Testament of redemption. Uh, It was made in the form of a television show and has already in just six months been broadcast to more than 300 million homes. And this uh, last February of this year, we celebrated the two-year anniversary of 100.7, a radio station that was started in Monrovia, Liberia, the epicenter in the last couple of years of the Ebola virus and a, a place that's just completely ravaged by war, civil war. More than one million people hearing 100.7, the voice of hope. Jesus is the voice of hope to the hopeless. And really, you think about the things that we battle in you know, a place like Europe. And honestly, it's not alternative religions like Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam that are our main challenge in Europe. You know what our main challenge is? Apathy. Apathy. People just don't care. And, you know, maybe you might encounter someone and meet them and tell them about your faith, and they think, that's, that's great for you. Wonderful. I'm glad that you have that, but it's, it's not for me. It's all about logic and the brain and secularism and intellectualism. So our goal in not just Spain, but in all of Europe, in Africa, the Middle East, throughout Russia and into Siberia, our goal is to bring Jesus to the table. Now, I'm not a preacher. I've never been a pastor. And uh, honestly, I never thought that I would be a missionary, ever. And it's not like I told God, well, I'll never do that. You know, you've heard those stories. <laughs> like, I, I'll never do that, and that's exactly what I'm going to go do. Uh, but it, it wasn't like that. It just wasn't even on my radar. See, I am what we call an orthodox nerd. <laughs> I'm just a nerd. I am far more comfortable behind a, a computer or a soundboard or a camera than I am in front of people. Alicia and I, we both worked at what is now the University of Valley Forge, and um, we were, I guess I would say, minding our own business, just kind of having a good time. I was part of the digital media program. This, uh, this program, just fun fact, the day that we went to Wheel of Fortune was the day that the Pennsylvania Department of Education came to take a look as a site visit for our program. Like, the biggest day of my career, and I've got a jet, go get on a red-eye flight and fly to California. They said yes uh, to the program, which was great. Uh, and, you know, we saw this program grow, fastest growing program in the school, largest major in the school. And we, we get to, you know, go to places like Creation in, uh, uh, up in the middle of, of the state here and uh, do all the video production for 80,000 people, a huge Christian concert. We've got a group of students going out to Pendel Convention in just a couple of days. We'll see you there. I'll be there in the middle of the arena producing the show. And, you know, you see the students that are, that are there doing what God has called them to do. We're having fun, enjoying our lives. Alicia was the director of alumni. We loved our family. We loved our church. We loved our home. In a lot of ways, it felt like we were living the American dream. 
but sometimes I think that the American dream can be counterintuitive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in uh, January of 2013, I went on a, a trip. It was a trip to Cairo, Egypt. And uh, if you recall the last couple of years in Egypt, not exactly the safest place to go. Um, I actually brought Alicia back uh, when she was 25 weeks pregnant with Paisley. In-laws, not so happy about that one. Um, and I went to Egypt. We can show those pictures. And, um, you know, I went there to make a documentary film. I went there to put my head down and do my work. I certainly didn't go there to have my perspective changed. But any of you that have been on a short-term missions trip, how many have been on a, a missions trip? You know that they change your life. And if you ever have a chance to go on a short-term trip, do it. Well, I don't know if God, yes, God is telling you go. (laughs) They will change your life. They'll change your perspective. And I went there and I saw a group of people who were going to a pretty hostile place, getting rid of everything, moving with a couple of plastic tubs, moving to the dustiest place on earth, and going to a place where five times a day it wakes you up at night, it wakes you up in the morning, the most lonely, eerie, sound in the world, this uh, 4,000 voices singing a dissonant minor chord, the Islamic call to prayer, each one of them, by their very nature, denying the divinity of Christ. And I was there to do my job, to make a film, and I saw these people, and I was reminded of the scripture in Matthew, where Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And I began to realize what that might mean for someone like me. I went to school. I was a music major in school, and I was in a band at that time. And we had just put out a CD and thought, man, I'd I'd have to give up professional music to do something like what they're doing. And I live a life uh, relatively obsessed with technology. And, uh, you know, Cairo specifically is not exactly, uh, you know, the hub of technological innovation. Thinking, man... All these things that I feel are my DNA, I might have to give up if I were to follow Christ. See, God had been stirring something inside of Alicia and I for a couple of years, but we didn't know what it was. I never thought I'd leave Valley Forge. I knew I wouldn't be there forever, but I never thought I'd go. And just a few months after I got back from Cairo, I was invited to go on a two-week missions trip back into North Africa, but based out of Madrid, Spain, with International Media Ministries. And just before we left, the director of IMM resigned. And uh, when we got there, I sat on the couch across from him, and he looked at me with his cup of coffee and said, Hey, Dan, just want to let you know, they asked me for a short list of people who can take this ministry over, and I want you to know that I've, uh, I've recommended you at the top of my list. Oh, Lord. I've had one job in my entire life. Are you sure? IMM's been around for 30 years. They, at the peak, they were making 200 television shows a year. I'm 30. I don't know anything. So I did something that I had really never done before, and I wasn't even sure if it was okay if I did it. Alicia's been a licensed minister for like 10 years. I, I was not even close at the time. And I prayed, and I asked Alicia later, I said, was it okay that I did this. I didn't want to commit heresy or anything like that. And I made a deal with God. How many of you have ever made a deal with God? Okay, you don't have to show your hands. It's okay if you did. And so I prayed this prayer. I said, God, if you want us to consider coming here, I want someone to call me on the phone. 
See, the call of God looks very different to people. I, I don't know, how, Pastor Richie, how you were called into the ministry or Pastor Joe or, or any of you. I don't, I don't know how God called you. Maybe it was at an altar like this one. Maybe it was at a, like a youth convention that's, ha- like, that's happening this week or a camp or a retreat. I wanted to be called on the phone. I mean, God can do anything, right? And so we got home and we thought, man, what, what could God do? Could he be leading us to this? And so, so we waited and we waited and we got to about the six week point. We prayed this other prayer of really commitment of our lives because we didn't know what God was going to do. We didn't know if he was going to come through and if he was going to call us on the phone. And uh, we just ultimately knew this. We wanted to be used by God in the best possible way. I mean, I think that's what all of us want on some level. Like, it it doesn't matter what you do or what you're interested in or where God has gifted you or, or crafted your interests or abilities. We just want him to use us in the best way that he can. And honestly, if that meant for us to stay at Valley Forge, so be it. Let's buy a house. Let's put down roots. We love southeastern Pennsylvania. Let's just, let's just be here. And so we prayed this prayer like, God, you can do whatever you want. And I'm warning you, don't pray this prayer. At least don't mean it if you don't want God to rock your world. And (laughs) the prayer went like this, God, we are yours completely. Whatever you say to do, we will do. Wherever you say to go, we will go. Can you see how that might be problematic? (laughs) The next day, my phone rang. Honestly, I wouldn't believe it if it didn't happen to me you have a right to be skeptical. And the phone call went like this. Dan, my name is Paul. I'm the regional director of Europe for Assemblies of God World Missions. Yeah, wow. I don't know why I'm calling you today. (laughs) But I just could not shake it and felt led that I had to reach out to you and tell you about an opportunity we have in Spain. All right, sir. I mean, God... (laughs) God called us on the phone. That's what we call a burning bush experience, right? And you'll see on the front of your bulletin, it says, Moses, the original burning bush experience. Uh, You know, (laughs) we're not talking about that today. The Holy Spirit woke me up this morning and said, I've got different plans for this morning. So I hope you don't mind. We're going to take a bit of a different turn because sometimes God surprises us. And God surprised us that day But I'll tell you this, in the moments where you feel surprised, God is not surprised. When my phone rang and I talked to Paul Trementosi and he said this, that that was our moment. That was was the the time that God appears to you in, in the shrub that's on fire, but it's not burning up and tells you exactly what he wants you to do. And I I really wish that I could tell you that we fell to our knees and the angel choir sang and the beam of light, yes, Lord, we'll go. We didn't. We were like Moses and came up with all kinds of excuses, except God didn't try to kill us. (laughs) And in another moment of prayer and fasting, God revealed to us brought to remembrance for Alicia, right? So we're, we're trying to decide, should we take our little family and pull Paisley away from her grandparents? She's the only grandchild on Alicia's side. Are we going to uproot and quit our jobs that we love? Are we going to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow Jesus? Alicia was reminded of a recurring dream that she had when she was a teenager. And in this dream, she was standing on a black and white map of Western Europe. Spoiler alert, Spain's in Western Europe. 
And she's standing on this black and white map, and she's with Jesus. And they're dancing and singing and laughing and twirling. And as they were doing that, a rainbow of color soaked into the map from top to bottom. See, we were praying for God to use us in the best possible way, and he reminded us he had already written our story before we had cracked open the cover. Before we had even met, before, uh, before we were conceived, God knew. God knew. And so we're trying to decide, is he calling us to go to Western Europe to bring color through media? We knew undeniably the answer was yes. And today we celebrate Palm Sunday. This celebration of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. The significance of this day is huge as Christians. Right? And there are so many, though, paradoxes in this story. And we think about Jesus coming in and singing Hosanna. And even this morning, we sang, we sing Hallelujah, the Lamb has overcome. Have you seen a lamb? Right? They're not majestic animals. They're kind of dumb. There's nothing remarkable about a lamb, but there's something remarkable about and paradoxical about a lamb being the savior of the world. And we think about this day. I heard once heard Leonard Sweet talk about uh, this day and about this entry into the city and, and the significance. And at the same time that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem ultimately to be led to his death, another gate in the city, hundreds or thousands of lambs. You know where those lambs, where the best lambs in that part of the world were grown? Nazareth. These lambs from Nazareth being led into the gate of the city to the slaughter to celebrate the Passover. And here comes Jesus from Nazareth being led on a donkey, not a majestic animal but coming in, the king of Israel, coming into the city. And that's where we're going to pick up this story today. Why, why would Jesus do this? Why would he select to go into the city at this time, understanding what's happening in the world and what's happening in his timeline? Why would he do this? Let's read. I'm going to read in John 12. Please, if you want to follow along, you can, but please just enjoy this story. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, the rock star whom he had raised from the dead. 
So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus again as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Look how the whole world has gone after him. See, many Jews were coming to Jesus, infuriating the chief priests. Now, people began to spread the word of Lazarus and of this miracle that Jesus did. And, you know, they didn't do it out of compulsion. Jesus didn't say, now make sure you go and tell everybody what I just did. No, 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 no. He did something so incredible. Have you ever heard a story or heard about something that you can't wait to get home and tell your wife or your husband or your brother or sister or your parents? You ever just experienced something? You, you t- maybe you tell it over and over and over. Did you hear about? That's what was happening. Something so remarkable happened that people just, they couldn't be contained. It was such an incredible story. You will not believe what just happened. And see, Jesus is our story. And, you know, when we, when we become his disciple, our lives become his. And, you know, at, at the moment, it's amazing what can happen the moment that you give your life to Jesus. I mean, the Bible tells us stories uh, about the moment that the lame man encounters Jesus and, oh, he can walk. The moment that the blind man encounters Jesus, he can see. For my parents... Uh, They were both alcoholics coming from alcoholic homes and they were saved, didn't take another drink. Man, that might be your story, but that's not the only story. See, sometimes it takes some time. It takes some time, just like a guitar is tuned for worship or to be perfectly in tune with the rest of the band or the orchestra. Sometimes it takes some time for our hearts to get in tune with Jesus. And we spend our whole lives tuning up our strings and trying to hear the heart of God in our lives. See, the whole point of being a Christian is so that others can hear and experience the incredible story of Jesus. And I'm telling you today, that is the heart of Jesus. It's that all could hear. And, and I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. And the reason why I know that is because each of you are sitting here today. See, before all of this happened, Jesus sent out his disciples. In Matthew 10, it says, These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather 
to the lost sheep of Israel. See, Jesus had 12 disciples. How many tribes of Israel? 12. He was sending his Jewish disciples to their Jewish friends and families and neighbors. He said, do not go among the Gentiles. Paul says in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, inclusion, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. See, I, I, I think, especially this time of year, I think the wild thing that we forget is that Jesus wasn't talking to us. We're all Gentiles. We are all Gentiles. See, the heart of Jesus is that all could hear. The heart of Jesus is missions, and our hearts must be missions because we ourselves are a product of missions. What would have happened if they would have stopped at the tribes of Israel? What would have happened if Jesus didn't send them out into all the world? We might not be here today. See, Jesus wasn't talking to you. He was talking to his Jewish disciples. But at that moment, he was sending them out to reach the Jews. Just a few chapters later, he says, okay, that's good. That's good. Now I've got something different in mind. And he sends them out with the Great Commission. Right? You're probably familiar with this passage, it's Matthew 28. It says this, Therefore go and make disciples of the Jewish nation. No, no. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And sometimes, sometimes we stop there, right? But if we continue reading, it says, and surely I am with you sometime. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission is our charge to organically and not out of compulsion, but out of the incredible nature of the story to get the story, the saving knowledge of Jesus to all nations, but it's not just us. It's the great commission, our mandate. It's the great co-mission. It's a team effort. It's us and it's Jesus. He's not hanging you out to dry. He's given you the authority to carry out the Great Commission and he's not leaving you alone because he is always with us to the very end of the age. Missions is the heartbeat of God. This is why we exist. It's why we are here today. Now we had to work through this when we were trying to figure out what God's call was on our life. <laughs> We had all kinds of excuses why God shouldn't use us. I'm just, I was just a college professor, 30 years old, minding my own business. I didn't have any credentials, never been a pastor, never had, only had one job. I'm from New England. I moved down here. That's my life. We're supposed to take our family. And Jesus didn't say, therefore go if you have time. Therefore go if it's comfortable to you, if you've got a couple extra bucks, go ahead. No. He says, therefore, go. It's the reason 
we are Christians. And we, we tell this story so that Jesus can come back. You guys feel it? We're getting close. Oh man, are we getting close. And I, I, am, I was talking to a couple guys out in the fellowship hall this morning and I don't know, I'm not a prophet. Pastor Richie, I, I got an 81 on my credentialing exam, so everything I say is 19% heresy. But, uh, but, <laughs> but I believe, I believe that it's coming. And, and I, it's probably because I'm a video guy, but I believe that media is going to be used to usher in the second coming of Christ because we've never been more connected. Technology has never been more accessible. We've got people, I don't even have my phone on. We have people in the bush of Africa with tin roof, mud huts, and smartphones. (laughs) Jumbo. I mean, I'm telling you, this is happening. This is happening. There's places in the world that have skipped entire generations of technology that have never had a landline phone, that have never had a telegraph, that have never had broadcast television, that now are connected instantly to all of the information that we have in the entire world. Can we get Jesus in there? Can we get Jesus in there? Yes, we can. It's time to reclaim it. It's time, my friends. We've heard the story too many times. We have to tell it. I'm just doing what God's called me to do. I, I, I can't do it all. We're not the only show in town. I can't tell everybody. I can't go on a street corner and preach. I can't go and learn every single culture and every single language and meet people of peace and try to work for years and years and years to see one person come to Christ. I just know how to make videos. But I'm going to make videos to the glory of God. This is why we exist. To tell our friends and our family. Oh man, our family. That can be the toughest sometimes. And our neighbors and the people that we come in contact with at work, and those around the world. I want to close with a confession today. My confession is this. I listen to a lot of NPR, National Public Radio. Uh, I don't know when I turned old, but that was the day that I tuned my radio to 90.9 WHYY in Philadelphia and never turned it back. I I started listening to talk radio. I don't know why. It just one day, it was like, oh, I think I, I think I can listen to this. And, you know, for, for all the years that I've been listening to talk radio and reminding myself of my dad driving up home with it like, oh, dad's home. You can hear it. <laughs> for all the years that I've been listening to NPR, I've never become a supporter. You guys know this, like public television, public radio, they're all listener supported. And, and like four times a year at least, they come on with these pledge drives and you try going to turn on car talk or the news and all of a sudden it's people talking about tote bags. Like enough with the tote bags, man. I, I don't tote that many things to need a tote. And, and they're like, if you join us at $10 a month, that's a $120 tote bag, right? That's a, I mean... Go down to North Face and buy a nice backpack. That'll set you back $120. But, you know, for all the years that I've been listening to NPR, I've never become a supporter. And so I was driving home 
to Pennsylvania and I was in New Jersey and I think I had just gotten rear-ended, <laughs> actually. <laughs> Fun fact. And I, the, the, the pledge drive thing came on and I heard a familiar voice, that of Ira Glass. He hosts a, a show called This American Life uh, on NPR and, and I heard his voice and he said, hello, I'm Ira Glass. You've been listening to NPR for a long time. How did he know? (laughs) I know this because you know that this is a pledge break and you're still listening. Wow, he's good, (laughs) right? And he said, I want to level with you. You know that if you've been listening to NPR for a long time, you know this. It doesn't matter if you give. It doesn't matter if you give. This is a pledge drive. We're a listener-supported station. But you know that if you've never given, that it doesn't matter because ultimately someone will step up. Someone will give money. The bills will be paid. The station will stay alive. The shows will go on. It doesn't matter if you give. The funding will come in. So... If, if we could just take the idea that you're needed to keep this station alive. Like if, if we could take the responsibility out of it and just, just get real with the fact that this will ultimately happen anyway. If we could just table that and put it off to the side, can we just get down to the core of why we're here and why you should give? And it's this, because it's the right thing to do. We don't, we don't give to support this station and keep it alive because somehow we have to or sometimes, somehow we can sleep better at night if we give. We do it because it's the right thing to do because we believe in this content. We want it to continue. And so we give to support it. And I'm like getting saved in my car. All I can think about is Jesus. You know, the kingdom of God will be built with or without us. We are not needed for the Great Commission to go forward. You know, God could save the whole world like that. Jesus could come back at any time. We're not needed. But see, the thing is, we are given this incredible opportunity to partner with Jesus in the greatest movement the world has ever seen. Right? We're 2,000 years strong doing this thing, telling people about Jesus. I read an article the other day that was about uh, a business in the United States is like a big deal, solid business if they've been around for 100 years. Right? Your General Electrics, your, your companies that have, just been, that have gone through the, the turns and have gone through the depressions and all those kinds of things. In Japan, you know, it's not 100 years, it's 1,000 years. There's like a 900-year-old bed and breakfast. It, I hope they turn the mattresses. <laughs> and, and, you know, the mission of God has been going for thousands and thousands. I mean, it goes beyond even before Jesus. I mean, if you read the Bible, it's this incredible book, 40 different authors, 1,600 years, the same themes from page one to page 100 or 1,000. How, how many pages are in your Bible? I don't know. But the, the same themes all the way through from cover to cover. It's the story of redemption of this world, and we're getting near the back, friends. See, 
when you think about what can we do? Well, what can I do? You might not be called to go. You might not be called like the Lanzas to go to Laos, to go find people of peace and work in a home and see people come out of trafficking and see people's lives change. You might not be called to move across the ocean and make videos in Spain that reach uh, more than 70 languages on several continents. But we're all called to do something. And see, we don't, we don't do this. We don't, we don't give, right? And, and sometimes I think that, that when we give to missions, it just feels like another check on the, on the offering pl- uh, envelope. You know, we feel like maybe it's uh, the decision to do a short-term trip, and we're so thankful for those of you that have done a short-term trip. And like I said before, if you haven't, do one. It'll change your life. And missions is so much more than that. You know, think about prayer. Praying for missionaries. I believe that something happens when we pray. Do you believe that? And I believe that the inverse is true. That if we don't pray, things don't happen. And I think about stories of missionaries that are are going through something on the field and then someone's awoken in the middle of the night to pray for them. And they intercede in the middle of the night. They don't know why. And they find out years later, it was at that time that they were being robbed or the time that they were experiencing spiritual warfare, whatever it is. We need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and and live open-handed with our time and our prayer time. Like, I love that imagery of an open hand. Right, and, and I saw a, a robin outside of our home yesterday, and it was like, oh, spring's here. And I was thinking about putting bird seed, and this imagery went really awry in the first service. And as I was thinking about a bird with bird seed, I was thinking, birds are afraid of you, but you know what aren't? Seagulls. Right? Imagine being on the beach with a handful of french fries. <laughs> Who has french fries at the beach? We all do. I don't know why. Beach, french fries. Yeah, and you put the french fries in your hand, and these things are like, they're like, savages and they're coming and they're fighting each other off and they're trying to get the french fries and all of a sudden they're gone you're like oh cool so imagine if you take those french fries and you close your fist how many french fries are the seagulls getting out of your closed fist not very many especially if you have tight grip they're not getting very many so if you think about our lives as this open hand with God, God who owns the potatoes on a thousand hills. <laughs> Thank you for letting, this is the 19% coming out. And if we can just imagine how many things that God can flow through us if we live with an open hand. And if we believe that God, if we are, if we are praying and we're faithful, God will give you the things to pray for. And you think about your resources, whether it's your time or your finances. You think about, you know what? It's not mine. God owns it all, right? He owns it all. So if I can just acknowledge that fact and not try to hoard, but if I can just believe in the resources God has given me, the talents that he's given me, the time that he's given me, if I can live with an open hand and just realize that it's all his. If we don't try to keep it for ourselves and just say, God, we are yours completely. What could he do? And watch out, God's calling people to go internationally from this body. Watch out, it could be you. He might be speaking to you today. Man, what could I do? What could I do? See, it's not just about preaching. It's not just about making videos. It might be whatever God has gifted you in. God wants your heart. And it, 
extracts out of that. It's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks and the body does and all of those things. You'd be amazed at what God will flow through you and how he will bless you when you live with an open hand. And today, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you as we consider this week and the incredible story of Jesus, the incredible paradox that a a sinless man who was also 100% God would come to restore relationship between broken people and a perfect creator. Let's pray today on how we can impact our communities. And I just, I just love, I love the name Lighthouse Assembly of God because this body, you are truly a lighthouse in this community. You are. The things that you do and, and the outreaches that you have and the open door that you have in this welcoming, welcoming place. People know. People know. And they're finding Jesus here, including this morning. Let me pray for you today. Lord, we are yours completely. Whatever you say to do, we will do. Wherever you say to go, we will go. God, I pray for my friends this morning. I pray that as we consider what you would have for us to do, I pray that we would all live with an open hand, that we would sense your Holy Spirit speaking to us and maybe redirecting us, and maybe reprioritizing our lives. Lord, would you do what you will in our hearts? And that's, that's a really big permission thing. But God, we know that we are yours, and you are ours, and you always have our best interest in mind. Whether it means pulling us away from the life that we were enjoying, or whether it means just opening our eyes to something that you have right in our backyard. Lord, I pray that you would lead, that you would guide, and in all of that, that you would provide. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.